Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. After failing in my first attempt along the Continental Divide to meet and talk to people, I decided a second attempt would only be successful if I could find some respect for the people I wanted to talk to. Because I had none before, and this was part of the problem. I looked down on the ignorant country folk and insinuated they didn't care about the environment. When really, when I thought about it, the environment's doing fine. The Rocky Mountains are 14,000 feet tall at 80 million years old. And this year, there's lots of water from a heavy snowfall last winter. Everything is green and looks like Switzerland, perhaps the upper Rhone Valley. Beautiful place. Yes, there are coal mines and oil and gas fields, power plants, and lots of cows grazing on Forest Service land but the air and the water are clean. And I eat meat and consume electricity and burn a lot of gasoline, so it would be hypocritical of me not to recognize the people who work hard every day to provide the things I want and need. And I can respect that. So I went back to northwestern Colorado, the western slope of the Rockies, this time with a better attitude telling people straight up that I have a liberal radio program, but I'm looking for conservative Trump supporters who can talk about what's wrong with America and what's causing the divide in our culture. It was easy to find conservatives. Actually, almost everybody in that part of the country is a conservative, but it was tough getting them to talk on tape. Most of them said no right away and just felt more sure as they thought about it. I was just some guy with a microphone coming onto their turf and asking them to say things that I might take and cut up and make them look foolish. Off the record, I got an earful, sometimes at volumes that would have been hard to record, but no, they were not going to let me turn on my machine. Three people, all men, did talk to me on tape. We had calm, reasonable conversations, and I promised I'd present their opinions as accurately as possible, so I'm going to play the conversations at length. First, a cattle rancher in Meeker, Colorado. My name is uh, Paul Sheridan. I have a nickname, and it's Buckshot, which a lot of people, uh, at least in this town, know me by. And we're in uh, Meeker, Colorado, and, and uh, outside on the patio of the Bar 7 Ranch. It's an old family ranch established in 1895, so I'm uh, like a fourth or fifth generation rancher. Well, could you tell me a little bit about what this area is like or how it's known in comparison to other areas around on the western slope? You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a gorgeous area. It's, uh, you know, very conservative minded. Uh, It's one of those uh, towns that... uh, I don't know if if we can grow because we don't have a railroad, uh, we don't have an interstate. Um, you know, it's isolated, and I think some 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 of us want to keep it that way. I mean, just as an example, we had an opportunity to get CNCC, which is a, a junior college, and it ended up in Rangeley, and that's because, according to my father, he, you know, he he was one of those old guys, but he was a little more progressive minded and thought that that's something we ought to you know, go for, and we turned it down because we, I think we were afraid that we might see a black person walking up and down the street or something. It's just insane. We're, we're pretty protective here of what we have. 
but the problem is, you know, you either grow or die. <laughs> and so we've got to figure out some things to sort of make us move forward. So my program's kind of a liberal program, uh -huh. and I am more of a liberal, I guess. I, but what I'm, what's bothering me is, is that it's really hard to talk to uh, conservatives. Right. They see me as like fake news. Uh -huh. Anyway, but uh, what do you think is the underlying separation between the two sides? Have you thought about it? I, I think it's uh, mistrust. You know, I do. I think that uh, it's it's become to the point where if you don't think like me, then then I don't want to have anything to do with you, you know. I think the Democrats, you know, uh, well, obviously, they're more progressive thinkers, you might say. And I think they have the idea that we don't even know about the cell phone yet, you know, that as a, I mean, I'm generalizing, but as a general rule, I think uh, liberal people are, are more are more educated than conservatives, and uh, but it doesn't mean that they're they have more common sense, and it doesn't mean that they're even smarter, necessarily, you know. But I think that's a rub. I think that when when Trump talks and gets up there, and he, you know he's obviously not as eloquent as President Obama was, I think that just irks and you know the the liberal side of the of the world, and yet I think he's got us, our best interest in mind. You know, I really do. I think that you know he wants good health care. He wants better infrastructure, uh, he wants uh, good jobs, you know, he wants to lower taxes. All those things in my mind are good, but there's this resistance, you know. They've got to snap out of it and, and develop an agenda that, you know, the mainstream believes in. The mainstream? Being well, being, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess, uh, the I, I suppose it's the white working class. I mean, I hate to... That sounds sex. It sounds uh, racist. Uh, racist or bigoted or whatever. Yeah, and uh, the people who voted for Trump. Yeah, I guess the yeah the the those Trump voters. You know, they they just um, they they want a voice. My thing is that uh, I don't think his agenda is self-serving. I just do not believe that, and I think that he wants to change uh, some things about America that that are not good. You know, and I firmly believe that uh, Obama wanted us to become just another simple, not third world nation, but certainly not, not outstanding in any way. You know, he's a Saul Alinsky uh, b believer, and I think that Saul Alinsky wants basically socialism. I mean, how many times do we have to prove that that's not going to work? Socialism. The government knows best. The government should run things that, you know, uh, capitalism is evil, and uh, we should not... Uh, really rely on ourselves. We need to rely on the government. You know, I just I have a hard time buying into that. That the government knows better. Yeah, than I do about how to run my life. How are you and your family doing now these days? Um, you know, we're doing good. We, we, carried, uh, we carried too much debt for a long time on the ranch, and that's been resolved. And so we're, uh, I'd say we're within a year of being at the apex of our operation. And is that because of better management, or is that because the regulations, the federal regulations and the state regulations for cattle ranching have changed? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the highest price we ever got for our calves was under Obama. <laughs> so, 
you know, uh, I don't think it's that. I don't see anything yet other than Trump did one thing, and that is he opened the market back up for beef to go to China. And that will give us a significant bump. People want to buy American beef. Oh, and you couldn't put a label on it? Well, they had it on, and then they re they they uh, took that back off. Uh, Obama did. He t he uh, he uh, uh, you know deleted that that uh, requirement. Uh, and again, I think it's because he does not want America. I don't think he wanted America to stand out. I think he wanted us to be, you know, weak. I voted for Obama in 08 because I didn't like McCain. But in 2012, I did not vote for him, and I, I developed from 12 to 16 a, that same visceral response that liberals have with Trump. Huh. I just could, I, I thought he was taking us down a rat hole. What do you think the proper role for America is in the world? Oh, man. You know, I don't think we want to play policeman, and yet when we don't, when we lead behind, from behind, I should say, uh, things get things got very, very dangerous. You know, I, I think that uh, things, uh, our country, and especially the European countries, got very, very dangerous because we pulled back. And in, I, what, in what way? Can you be specific? Well, the military was, uh, you know, diminished significantly. Uh, uh, you know, Obama made these threats and drew these red lines and then wouldn't act on it. In Syria. In Syria. And uh, uh, I think that's part of why, you know, Europe became flooded with refugees. And, you know, they have open borders and there's no way to track who's who and where, where they are. And I think it's pretty clear that there is a sect of Muslims who want to do damage to us, want to hurt us. And I think domination is their ultimate goal, and that that frightens me for the people who live in the cities. I don't. I feel safe here. I mean, I don't even lock my doors at night. But uh, I I'm worried about the bigger cities. Yeah, I think they live in fear, and I I feel bad about that. I wouldn't want to live in fear. All right. Well, one thing I disagree with what you said. I think socialism is a good thing in that we have our school systems social, uh -huh. fire departments, our police. We pay taxes to support mm -hmm. these things. And I think, for instance, we should have a one-payer socialized health care because I think it's wrong to basically make profits off people being sick. I mm -hmm. think that's almost evil to make a profit off a sick person. Yeah. So I disagree with that part, what you said. And then another thing I disagree with is the jihadis. Uh -huh. um, you know the people, the, the is, Islamic people who want to destroy the great Satan of America right. and build a worldwide caliphate. They exist for sure, but I think that our military efforts to get rid of those only makes it worse. It only increases the number of jihadis. I don't know. I mean, I I understand your argument. I do. Maybe 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 we shouldn't. I mean, what is the answer? You know, it's not to love them. That's not going to work. I mean, I mean, you can't love somebody that's cutting your head off. But that's what Jesus said. I know. Love your enemy. I know it. And maybe, I mean, is that, are they going to respond to that? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, ultimately, love conquers everything. I get that for sure. Huh. I understand that. But uh, Have you always thought that or have you learned it? Hmm. I probably learned that in the 70s, maybe. 
you know, that, I mean, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. How yeah. did you, when you are in college? Yeah, you know, I mean, I just uh, uh, had a reckoning with, with Jesus and and uh, was kind of down and out on my luck and, and uh, you know, looking for, I guess, the answers to life. And, you know, I was wa- actually watching a Billy Graham show on TV. Yeah, and I thought, well, that's, you know, love is the answer. I get that. So that's strong. You feel it's, it's yeah, I strong do. in your life. I do, yeah. And yeah, you think that, okay, so. I mean, you have to have faith to be a rancher. You just do. Bottom line, if you you know, I mean, we're we're at the market's whim basically our whole existence, you know, and if you don't have faith, you don't you just won't you just can't cut it. Faith in what? just that that God's going to take care of your family, you know, wow. and I guess that see, and I think that drives liberals crazy, because um, it's, it's so simplistic, and aren't you being sort of naive that you think God there is a God that's going to take care of you and your family. Maybe, but that's that's what I have to go on, you know, every single day in farming and ranching, you know, especially where I was yesterday. Where was I? Yeah, up, up there on South Fork, up in the, you know. Where up the, higher in the yeah, mountains? Yeah, 10,000 feet. What's it like up there? Oh, geez, the gra- it's just lush, you know, just beautiful. Ferns this tall. Four uh, feet. Yeah, just beautiful, four feet tall. And, the, you know, the trees, the grass is awesome. The cows are happy. Big clouds floating by, yeah, yeah, it's unreal. And I and you're right about socialism. I mean, there's got to be certain social. Uh, uh, there has to be certain social, and I don't regret paying taxes for a minute for those kinds of things, to be protected by the police and the fire department. And uh, there, there, darn sure has to be a safety net for people that can't afford health care. You know, we, yeah. I mean, we got to we have to provide for all, in my opinion. So. You know, I, I don't know if that's a liberal thought or not, but or a socialistic thought or whatever, but, uh, you know, Bernie was right about that. It's just that uh, I don't want him taking away what I have to level the playing field, you know. I met this next man, another rancher, at a well just outside Craig, Colorado, where he was filling a 500-gallon tank in the back of his pickup, with water for his cows. I think he said each cow drinks 40 gallons a day. Yeah, could you introduce yourself? Melvin Norman, Greg, Colorado. Melvin Norman. Melvin Norman. And you're a cattle rancher. I do cattle ranching, we do hay. Uh, I'm a real estate developer. I'm also a licensed uh, contractor, but I've retired now, I'm 78 years old, and uh, I run uh, hunting clubs for the last 30, Eight years, and I'm still running those. Hunting clubs, hunters come and hunt on your land here in Colorado. Yes, I have a, a, it's a trespass hunt fee for antelope, deer, and elk. And I only bring in, I only bring in like 10 people for any one given area at one time. And because of that, we're batting 100% for antelope and deer for the last 31 years. We have helped um, handicapped people. We have hunters that are in their 90s. We can take them out, and they, they hardly even have to get out and walk. They can just set up their stand and, and hunt. So you've got a ranch here in Colorado, or different ranches here we in have, Colorado? Uh, we have four places here in Colorado, and, and we have uh, 
uh, one in Texas. We do not hunt down there. It's strictly a cattle ranch and hay. Have you ever lived in a city? Uh, yes, I lived and grew up in Vacaville, California, which uh, where, which when I moved there in 1949, it had 3,000 people. When I left, it had 115. Do you see a country-city divide, like city mouse, country mouse type thing? No, I think myself, uh, having lived in like three states, California, Texas, and Colorado, and still back and forth, I find that the city-country divide is not necessarily there in any of those locations. That it's um, the economy and all the different things that go along with it. And there's always going to be a division between people who want things for free and for nothing and people who are willing to work for it. Over the last decade, really, we have saw this group of people who want things for free. There are needy people who need our help. The veterans, for instance, there's a lot of veterans out there that I see that are on the street. I have stopped and donated 10 and 20 bucks to them when they do. But, you know, the problem now is it's hard to pick those people really out. Are they really who they say they are? Uh, I certainly don't mind trying to help them when I can. Uh, but there's a lot of people who they just flat won't work. Um, and I don't think they ever are going to work. You don't think it's a lack of jobs, that there's no opportunities for work? You think that they just don't want to work? I know a lot of people who just flat do not want to work, and they wouldn't work if you gave them any kind of a job. We need to offer people work, and if they're physically able to do that, they should be required to work. Now, when you talk about people who don't want to work, are these white people as well as immigrants? What's your experience? Not just immigrants. I worked I worked in for the... Because um, I'm 78 years old, and 50 years ago, the immigrants used to come in and work. People, when I was in California, especially from Mexico, and work. And, I hired, and I've hired them and had them work for me in the construction companies and, and helped them get their citizenship. And some of those people are pretty hard-working people, but there are the same thing. There's people up there that just want to come and get the money, but really don't want to work for it. Have you seen that happen? Yes. Personally? Yes, multiple times. I've offered, up here in this area, I have offered to help people uh, work on my ranches and building fence and different things, and offering 10 and 20 bucks an hour and people don't want to do it because it would mess up their unemployment and their different things. There are a lot of people who are having a lot of children without being married, and uh, they don't, <clears throat> they expect to be helped. They expect to be taken care of. And the more children that they have, the more they get. You know, I, my family, when I was uh, young, we had six children, but we all grew up, and all my brothers and sisters and my mom and dad both worked. Uh, we all worked hard. We never were on welfare. We never asked for freebies. We never did any of these things. And it's not that you can't have more children, 
But you have to understand that the cost to have those more children is yours, not, not Joe's down the road or anyone else's. See, a lot of these people, I have houses, and the, the, federal, and the federal government pays for those people's houses. Section 8. They pay, yeah, and they pay for their health care. And if they need an attorney, they pay for their attorney to take care of all these different things. We do. They don't. We pay that. I think they should be required, if they're, if they're able, they should be required to do these things. But there aren't any jobs. There, there, I mean, I think the government should have, a like in the 30s, there were the Conservation Corps. There were okay. these public work programs. Why don't we do that? What? Well, I think, I think that's what's going to happen. If we can get started rebuilding a lot of the things that are in America that needs help and do these things, I think it will turn around. You're not against social work programs? No, not at all. Building dams not or at clearing all. forests or maybe no. highways? Whatever know. the capabilities of these people are. And, you know, you might be surprised. I've taken people that were, were like kind of on welfare and not working, and I've taught them to be uh, plumbers or carpenters or painters or roofers. Uh, it takes a little bit of effort, but I'll tell you, I think it turns around and comes back. A lot of those people that I did that with went on to become con full-fledged contractors. What about, there's this phrase, white privilege. Have you heard that lately? White privilege? Yeah, I don't think that that's in any way true in the United States. White I really privilege. don't. There was a restaurant slash bar at the motel where I stayed in Meeker. And one evening I was in there talking to a guy who was having a beer after getting off work. He said he'd lived in Meeker 27 years and had worked in the oil and gas industry all of his life. That he had a shop, like a warehouse, just down the street and I should come by the next day, he'd talk to me. Uh, my name's Perry French. We're in Meeker, Colorado. And this is your office slash? My office, my house. I live here. I work here. And what do you do for? Um, I produce deionized water for the oil and gas industry in the area. Uh, it's part of the process to remove some of the unwanted things, uh, CO2, that type of thing, from the natural gas. I provide that for them. And deionized water is absolutely no minerals. So there's no contamination, no foaming, no, no uh, scaling, none of the above. And, and that's what I do. That's the service I provide. So it's through, in your shop in there? That's in the shop, yep. That's what's going on. That's that noise you hear back there. Oh. Yeah, that's the plan at work. So what's out there in terms of oil and gas in this area? Lots of it. Lots of it. You know, starting in 2006, they built two of the biggest um, natural gas plants in the western United States. Highway miles, if you drive it, it's approximately 40 miles is all from here, right where you're sitting. Could you describe Meeker or this area where we are in Meeker? Oh, it's a small little ranching community. It has been for many, many years. Energies, it kind of cohabitates with agriculture. The ag people don't really care for the energy. Energy doesn't care for the ag. Of course, that's true anywhere and everywhere you go. But uh, it, it's a sleepy little agriculture town mostly. What's we the rub between the two? Land, grazing, you know, the same that it is in most places. You know, they, they're, they're disenchanted with the fracking here, but only because they really don't understand it and because they've, they've been told that it's a bad thing. And it's not. Uh, you know, I guess that depends on the side of the fence you're on. 
I've been in the I've been in the industry since the early '70s. One of my first jobs in it was with Halliburton fracking in the Panhandle of Texas, and we were fracking back in the early '70s. If you talk to people like, you know, T Boone Pickens, he's been at it for over 60 years, and he's in his 90s. You know, he was fracking in the Ogallala Aquifer 60 years ago. Yeah, you know, we think about it as a new technology, but it's been going on. Absolutely not new. Absolutely not. It's new to the media, new to the news, new to everybody, but to the oil and gas industry, it's it's old hat. It's been around a long time. If you explain what fracking is. It's basically the fracturing of the rock down low where the oil and gas lives, resides, where it comes from. You basically pressure it, you fracture the rock, you open it up to extract oil and gas. You fill it with sand to keep it open so that the gas and oil continue to flow. It's the same process that's been going on since the beginning of the process. It hasn't changed that much. How about the polluting the water water uh, tables? Like, you know that film? Did you see uh, Gasland? Yeah, yeah, I've, they I've light seen. The yeah, I, tap I, water on fire. I disagree with a lot of that. I, I, most of the good drinking water anywhere you go is in the first thousand feet of surface. Once you start getting below that, you start getting into sulfur. And most of that water down there is so contaminated you can't touch it. You couldn't even begin to even think of drinking it to begin with. So I guess I don't understand why everybody thinks the big contamination from drilling into it is such a big deal. That water is nastier than most of the stuff we put down there. The drinking water is the upper levels in the first 1,000, 1,500 feet, depending on where you're at. I've seen water wells as deep as 900 feet in Arizona. Most of them are a couple hundred feet. You know. With the restriction in the United States, with the drilling, you drill it, you case it, you cement it, you know, all of that. Everything is done to protect the surface water. Surface is the big concern when they drill the well. Really? It's a huge concern, and they drill down way below that before they even think about fracking. You know, most oil and gas wells in this country are looking at a shallow well is probably 9,000 feet, a deep well is probably close to 20. What's down there that you could ever possibly want to drink? Nothing, absolutely nothing. What changes might the Trump administration make to the extraction of oil and gas and burning? Have you heard anything? You know, the Trump administration is fairly comfortable with the price of gasoline and energy in the United States for the American people. Therefore, I don't think there's going to be much of a change in it in the whole time he's in office. Why would he? It's working quite well. We're enjoying some of the cheapest gasoline prices in the world. Our energy is probably some of the cleanest and cheapest on the planet. Why would he change it? Maybe the oil and gas companies could make more money if they didn't have to follow such tight environmental regulations. Like oh, yeah. If they loosened up the regulations, sure, they could make more money. Absolutely. They could do more for less. Sure. I, I <laughs> You know, sometimes regulation, you... You tend to want to not like regulation because it restricts what you think could happen. Is it wrong? No, I don't think it's wrong. I think everything needs to be regulated. And uh, Colorado definitely has their, their regulations that you follow. You know, they have air quality, water quality, all of that. And air quality is a, is a tough one here. It's extremely high. So what do you see in your experience working in this industry? What, have you seen anything bad or rotten happen? So oh, you know, that happens. That's in anything in, in, the, in life. I mean, that happens everywhere. You're going to find bad apples. You're going to find people who cheat, steal, and lie and, and 
don't follow the rules? Absolutely. Have I seen it? Oh, yeah, sure. Did they get caught? Oh, lots of them do. In the end, a lot of them do. Yes, they do. You know, environmental spills, that type of stuff. Somebody always, it always comes back to haunt them. It usually does. Do you think that there's a, that the divide in the country is about city people and country people at all? Or the divide between liberals and conservatives? Environmentalists? There's a disconnect and, in this country, absolutely. What, how do you see it? Uh, I see it at a lot of the rural communities like, like here. And uh, a lot of the working class people that actually are the backbone of this country. Um, I think that there's a lot of inner city dwellers who don't get it anymore. I think that entitlement society is starting to become too big. What don't they get? They don't get what it really takes to make this work. You know, it's all news. It's all numbers. It's all fictitious. Uh, you know, there, there, there are folks in inner cities who, you know, if they run out of milk, they think, you go to the store, that's where it comes from. Not the case. You know, and if you run out of gas, you just go buy more. That's not the case. And I don't think most of them get it. I think it's been too cushy. They're too isolated in the inner cities. Things are just there, and they're always there, and that's how they see it. Therefore, their vision of, of um, this country and how things operate and how things should operate, I think, is kind of twisted. I really do. I think the outer outer... Uh, limits like these little towns, little rural areas, the the ranching communities, the farming communities. I think that's where the reality really lies. How come people in the country predominantly voted for Trump, Republican ticket? What is that? Why are people in the country Republicans? Why are people in the cities Democrats? By and large, they at felt this like point. he. I, I, that's very simple. He's pro-America for one, and Americans. He's pro-American. He he he's. He's he's for the Americans. He's for the working class Americans, people like live here. Myself. You can't say people in the city aren't Americans, can you? No, I, I think you I think All you right, took okay. that a little bit incorrectly. Right? Yeah, I think that's a little bit too All cut right, and dried. Pro America. I mean, I, Donald Trump's for America. He wants to see America uh, be America again. We want to see us survive. He wants to see us make good good business deals, and for business people who are the working class small businesses of America. That means a lot, and I hate to say this, but we still are the backbone of the United States, not the people living in the inner cities who are going to school all the time, overly educated, you know, too many handouts, too many free programs. You know, once that imbalance continues like it is, there's more of them than there are of us when that scale tips it's not going to be a good situation because people like me, my small company, and the, and the millions of us, once we start to not be interested in doing it anymore, it's not going to be a pretty picture. Because you think the people who produce will stop working? They will. They will. I, I visit with people like that in, in that position all the time, and most of them are tiring of being the ones to continue to work and put up with all the red tape and all the taxes and all the bureaucracy and all the regulations, but yet our taxes and everything that we pay just continues to get higher and higher. We get to keep less and less and less of what we do that for. So it's to the point where why does it matter anymore and why do I continue to do this? It's not worth it for me anymore. But the, maybe it's not the poor people who are the problem. They're not, maybe the money's not really going to support them. Maybe the money's going into the pockets of the richest people in the country and the world. 
And maybe we should be more concerned about the rich people. Maybe we should be more afraid of the oligarchy than the poor people, and that we're just blaming the poor people because, like, they're lower than us, because we're afraid someday we're going to end up like them, and so we lash out at the poor people and blame them for our problems. I don't think that's the case. When really it's the rich bastards who are screwing us over. You know, no? <laughs> I disagree with you 100% okay, there. Because the rich people aren't the one lined up getting lying about their, their family situations and their whole situation. They're putting the money in offshore banks. That's all. And? Well, that money's not coming back in the economy if it's sitting in a bank somewhere else. It's not it's being it's too expensive to put it in the system here. How do you, how do you tolerate the, the taxes here? You know, when when, uh, when most of the money that you work for, no matter what the amount, no matter if it's a million dollars a year or if it's $20 million a year, if you can't keep it in the U.S., if you can't contribute it into the U.S. economy without being penalized to death, why would you do that? I don't blame them for finding other revenues to move their cash away from this heavy tax burden that we have here. We're able to have a conversation where it's not getting emotional and out of hand. Sure. But often these things just get really yeah, heated. It, it, and yeah, it's just a conversation. There's no reason what, to get upset but, about it. And I'm worried that if it keeps going like this, nobody's going to talk to anybody, and the things, everything's going to fall apart. There's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of heartburn in the country. And, it, and, it's get, and it's getting worse. Yeah, the division gets deeper all the time. That's dangerous. That is dangerous, absolutely. I mean, whether we like each other or not, that's dangerous. It is we very dangerous. work and talk together. We agree to agree on one thing, and that is we disagree on everything. So what, what's your prognosis? What do you see for the future of America? I see trouble ahead. Lots of it. If we continue on the path we're on, I see lots of trouble. You know, we now have uh, racial problems that we haven't had for years. All of a sudden, it's flared up. It's everything. It's everywhere. We're headed for a lot of trouble, a lot of problems. Like shooting each other? Type oh, I could see that happen, absolutely. The people in the country are afraid the people in cities are going to come out here, and that's good. That's a reasonable fear. Yeah, and, and that would be a mistake for city dwellers. It really would. It really would. I'm sorry. I know these folks. <laughs> It would, it would be met with huge resistance. <laughs> yeah. um, and what, what else can you do? What other choice do you have? You know, at, at the end of the day, the darkest day, the most valuable thing on the planet will be bullets and guns. That's defense, that's food, that's everything. Because whether we think it's right or not or like it or not, that's what's going to rule the day. At the end of the at the end of the failed society, that's what will rule the day. In the days when every house is a fortress or a ruin, and every person a murderer or a slave, cell phones thrown out like beer cans on the side of the highway. The Rocky Mountains are still going to be 14,000 feet tall and 80 million years old. And the clouds are still going to bring water from the ocean and drop it as snow in the winter that will melt in the spring and run through rivers back to the ocean. The world will keep turning and the things we do here will disappear. Gone, all gone. And I have a lot of respect for that.
I'd like to thank Buckshot and Melvin and Perry for the interviews. They did it to help me in my job because they think it's important to talk and listen to people with different ways of seeing things. I'd also like to thank Nikki Turner at the Herald Times and Meeker for helping out. If you like listening to Home of the Brave, please consider donating to the cause. I don't do advertising, so everything comes down to listener support. Now would be a good time to contribute. I've been running a deficit lately. Actually, for the two and a half years I've been doing this show, I've been running a deficit, and I'm down about $10,000. That's not bad. It's pretty good. But it's time to take care of that and get out of the hole. So I'm going to try to start some type of a campaign right now. This is the beginning of something. I don't know what yet. Anyway, thank you very much for listening.